Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I hope everybody is doing well. Welcome back to another episode of the Ahmed Khan podcast. Today we are joined by Yama Niazi. Uh, most of you already have a relationship with uh, Sidi Yama, but for those who don't know, he's an instructor at Seekers Guidance. He works very closely with the SFU Muslim Student Association. He studied with a number of prominent scholars, but he does not consider himself a scholar nor a student of knowledge. But alhamdulillah, he, 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 has, he has knowledge that we can seek from. So with that, Jazakallah khair for joining us, Sidi Yama. Alhamdulillah. Wa alaykum as wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, it's a pleasure and an honor and a blessing to be with you today. Jazakallah khair. So the topic that I wanted to focus on today was one that um, in, in my realm of counseling happens quite often and is the topic of dealing with your past. And everybody has a past. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Kullu bani Adam That every child of Adam Alayhi is a sinner. So all of us have made mistakes within our life. But when it comes to getting forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from others from our past and the things that we've done, it becomes very difficult. And oftentimes some people are not willing to forgive. And even worse than that, some people keep reminding others of their previous sins, their previous mistakes, their shortcomings. So my opening question that I wanted to ask you is from an Islamic point of, uh, point of view, when we make these type of mistakes, um, whether they're big or whether they're small, um, how do we go about seeking forgiveness when these sins are related to other people? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Bismillah. First of all, alhamdulillah, um, as it relates to other people, depends really what it is. So let's talk about the idea of tawbah in general. Uh, as you highlighted, the hadith of the Prophet that all of the children of Adam are uh, prone to make mistakes and to commit sins, but that the best of them are those who ask for forgiveness. And in fact, the Quran mentions, وَمَنْ لَمْ Those who don't repent, they are the wrongdoers. So repentance, us committing sins, is part of the natural nature of ours. And there's actually, this is going to sound weird, there's nothing wrong with that. What is wrong is what we do after that matters. Mm -hmm. Why do I say that? Because the Prophet ﷺ, he told some group of companions who were so afraid to go out to not commit sins. He said, if you do that, then Allah Ta'ala will remove you and bring up people who will go out, who will commit sins, but they'll make tawbah and they'll ask for forgiveness. This is no way a license to go commit sins, but it is to say that you're not perfect. You were not meant to be perfect, but you are given a path how to achieve an excellence that would make you pretty much as perfect as a human being could be. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing is we must realize. Second is Allah is not in need of anything we do. Allah doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need the worship of the angels who've been worshiping him for billions of years. He doesn't need any of it. So therefore the full benefit comes to us. This is Allah Ta'ala testing us. It's for our own salvation. It's for our own good. 
So we need to remember that. We need to remember that there is no sin too great that you cannot repent from in Islam. In fact, if you think about it, in one of the books that we covered with one of my teachers, um, Ishraq al-Qarar, which has to do about the virtues of prayer, one of the things that stuck to my mind is no matter what you have ever done, when it's Duhr time, you go pray Duhr. When it's Asr time, you go pray Asr. What do I mean by that? It means that no matter what you have done, you are not so sinful as that you don't deserve to stand before Allah on the prayer rug, right? Mm -hmm. That no matter what you've done, you've come to the right place. So therefore to say, oh, I've committed these sins, I'm not going to pray Dhuhr or Asr. That's now you're in trouble because to be in despair of the mercy of Allah is a serious sin. That is actually because that's going to lead into other destructions on the soul. So that we have to understand Allah is merciful. But part of what Allah Ta'ala made out of the wisdom of him is that those things that you commit against Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, he will forgive you by you repenting. If it's a minor sin, just between prayers, wudu, juma to juma, those sins fall off. But when it comes to violating the rights of others, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it obligatory that you correct between you and that person what you have violated from their rights. So if you stole something from them, you have to return it. If you spoke ill about them, although, you know, our teacher, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, when he used to teach uh, Muharram al-Isan, for example, he said that scholars in our time say that um, if that would lead to a greater wrong, then just, you know, um, don't tell them. But other teachers I've had is like, no, there's no exemption for that. If you violated the right of someone else, like you spoke ill about them, you spread slander about them, you backbited them, you did what you did, you have to find a smart solution, meaning catch them at the right time, Salat al-Eid, you know, birthday, whatever it is that it's a happy occasion, okay? And maybe, and I say birthday because most Muslims, they do that they don't find anything wrong as long as it's nothing haram done in it. So now in those moments is where maybe you want to lean in and say, hey, listen, I'm in, in my past. I just, maybe I've said things about you. I'm, I'm, I want to really say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of anything I've said about you, et cetera. Just find a way proper to get them to forgive you. However, if they're upset, it's not a good time. You go up to them and you say, I said that you're a liar, you're this, you don't know anything, so please forgive me, okay? Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen, right? Most people are not going to do that. If you are genuine with Allah, where you really made tawbah, you went to the person and you, you know, wholeheartedly with sincerity repented and you asked that person to pray for forgiveness, the scholars say you did your job. Even if that person doesn't forgive you after, you did your job, make dua for them, try to do extra good for them. But this also highlights one of the serious things most Muslims don't pay attention to, which is, a, for example, one hadith that says, that backbiting is worse than fornication. Now, obviously, it's not really worse, but how did the scholars look at this hadith? They said, fornication adultery, which is one of the major sins in Islam, it's between you and Allah. So you can make tawbah and Allah may forgive you. But riba is the rights of others. Allah will not forgive you unless they forgive you. So in that way, it's, a shad, it's harder. But also scholars highlight that 
it's easy to just open your mouth and spread gossip and something haram upon a person. Like in the Sharha Mishkat al-Masabih, it mentions that these, this understanding I'm mentioning that to go out and commit zina, it takes effort, it takes all kinds of factors that go in. So it's easier to slip into that haram. So when you look at this from this perspective, most Muslims, they don't think that it's that serious. It's a habit. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, backbiting, stealing is obviously more serious. That's a very serious thing to steal from another person to cut them out. Maybe your business partner, you took a bunch of money you sold in your business and you didn't tell your partner, that's stealing too. So when it comes to those type of things, you have to also fix it with the other individual. It's not just, you can't just pray and say, Ya Allah, make tawbah, please forgive me. No, 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 no. You mm -hmm. have to return what was violated from others. Yeah. Um, but the question I have, CD, following that is, what do you do in an instance where, because in today's age, we have social media. And in today's age, people will block you on all platforms. And there's no way you can really communicate to them. But you've wronged them. Um, because many people, um, and including myself to a certain degree, um, you're put into a situation like this where you want to reach out to the individual, but there's no way you can communicate to them. And you want to apologize for some of the mistakes you've done, but now you're stuck. How do you, how, what, what, what recommendation do you have for somebody stuck in this situation? You know, when you're in a situation where you cannot find that person after you make your best attempts, then you leave that because past trying to find them trying to make things right and you're unable to you repent to allah make dua for them allah bless them allah reward them and things like that if you ever could find them in the future then definitely make that effort but past you know some searches past other things you can't find then you're not held accountable past that you can only do what you can and also it depends how much you said, what you said, if it had to do, um, there are times that, for example, riba or backbiting or saying so. So it really depends on the situation, okay. to be honest, okay. like how much was said, why it was said, right? And Facebook and in social media is a new thing. There's, there is some scholars that gave talks uh, on just the fiqh of social media. There's a lot of things that relate to you know, what the Prophet warned of the end of time where everyone will be impressed with their own opinion. You know, you see in so many things, I personally rarely comment on anything. Why? Because I'm not the kind of person that's going to start a thread and start going back and forth about things. I think I had a really bad experience when I was younger. I think I was, I was quite young when um, the whole internet came out. I remember chat rooms, early 2000s, maybe mm -hmm. late 90s. Yeah, chat rooms came out. I was excited. I go in, I was arguing religion or something. And I spent like three, four hours on it. Maybe I did that once or twice. And then after that, I said, you know what, I'm never doing this. I'm not wasting my time. And I was able to basically stay away from it. So it's been my habit since that I just don't like, if somebody asks for clarification or something like that, yes. But I hate when you get into this back and forth between what people think their ideas it's like i'm not here for that and there's no benefit because you know first of all are you a scholar are you a specialist um what you're telling me are you doing it out of love and concern or are you just trying to prove yourself there's so many things that are variables and i highly doubt most people look at a comment and say oh 
Astaghfirullah. Jazakallah khairan. I'll do what you're saying from now on. Even if they were halfway in between, because this person is publicly engaging another person, the self has a nafs. Mm -hmm. It has a pride in itself. Even it won't admit it. Few people will actually say, mashallah, you're right. I changed my mind, right? So I think we're consumed by um, things that are really alien to our adab and akhlaq as a believer, you know, how we should engage. I think we need to rethink that. A lot of times if I do see something, I private message them. For example, once my teacher did something on another teacher, I went to him, I said, why don't you just call him, you know? Nobody won't listen to me, but just try. It's the brotherly thing to do. You don't need to call out somebody else on social media and attack them. You know, um, there was an imam who once he said something and he mentioned how another scholar he was speaking about just gave him a call. He's like, I really appreciate because they basically hashed it out on a yeah. conversation. And I think we as Muslims, I wish and I hope and I pray that we're able to like deal with our differences in a sunnah method, not just postings or sharing our emotions or attacking others. And that's kind of what social media does. It just kind of a lot of times just upsets someone, someone, and some people do it on purpose. They'll put a statement out. They know they're going to get a reaction. They yeah. just, maybe they're bored and they're looking to argue, you know, mm -hmm. but the Prophet Sallallahu he guaranteed a special place in um, uh, either a tree in paradise or a specific place in paradise for the one who leaves off argumentation even if they're right. SubhanAllah. And Raghib al-Isfahani and some scholars, they mentioned that arguing, argumentation about the religion in particular is disliked for even the scholars, let alone for the masses. That with scholars, when they argue and debate, there's conditions for it, such as premise they agree on, the lack of their own ego. Imam al-Shafi, when he used to debate someone, he used to make dua, oh Allah, make the truth manifest on the opponent's tongue not on his, so that he may submit to it. It wasn't about the ego or the nafs. Imam Shafi also, in a gathering, he would ask himself multiple times, if, do I need to say what I need to say? Or is it already been said by someone else? In other words, constantly checking the ego, their own reputation. And I feel myself sometimes, you know, you share something you've done and it's terrible. It's like, look at me, nafsi, nafsi. Yeah. And a'udhu billah, you know, we're told, uh, you get shade on the day of judgment from when your right hand gives from what your left hand doesn't know, mm. you know, and then fakhar and these things. So it's, it's strange. It's a strange thing we find ourselves with. There's internal battles and checking your intentions, but it's the new trend and it's what everybody is doing. So we have to kind of relook at that and have our scholars guide us as the etiquettes and adab of what we should do. Mm. No, alhamdulillah, I love you touched on that topic because you're going on the proactive side of things, of preventing these situations from even occurring. And one of the, one of the things I've been thinking about um, the last month or so a lot is about sincerity and seeing and re-examining my intentions with a lot of the things that I'm doing. And a lot of the great, you know, a lot of the great biographies I've read of people, most, most of them uh, people who've converted to Islam, such as Malcolm X, uh, rahimahullah, is there's always a level of sincerity involved of people questioning whether or not they're actually right and seeking out that truth. And when you don't know the answer, because I think, and I am definitely guilty of this, sometimes, you know, people ask you questions because they think you're learned or you'll have an answer. And your immediate response is to give them an answer. 
whether or not that's educated or not, your immediate response is just because they have this image of you and you don't want to break down this barrier. And so what I've been doing the last month or so is people have been asking me, you know, just shallow kind of type of questions. And I've been forcing myself to say, I don't know. And people's response is, how do you not know this? And I'm like, I don't know. Because um, Ria, pride is something that um, we want to avoid. And pride, like you mentioned, is the reason why there's a lot of argumentation back and forward. Just people trying to reveal that they're better than other people, that they're smarter than other people. And I'm glad you brought up this topic of the fiqh of social media, because um, I actually just read a book this month called The Fiqh of Social Media. Um, and inshallah, yeah, literally, it's, I, I have it up here. It's literally called The Fiqh of Social Media. And the author will be coming on for a podcast we've already discussed. So um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very excellent topic. But going back to the topic again, um, it was excellent that you brought up that you know, cause this, this hits home for me, you know, there's a specific individual who I would like to get in touch with, but they've kind of blocked me on all the platforms and it wasn't even necessarily that big. But for me, I always think about the hadith of the prophet وسلم, when the prophet said that this specific, that there was a specific individual. And he said, this individual is guaranteed paradise. And the Sahaba began to follow the individual, seeing what did he do that was so special. And they found out that he, the only thing he did special is that before he went to sleep, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that whoever he wronged forgave him and he forgave everybody that wronged him. And um, that's something I tried to live by. I tried to live by that teaching, but sometimes it's very difficult. And for some of the Muslims that I've spoken to, they're reaching out to that individual either one is impossible or two it will bring about more harm and so there's that sense of guilt that they have to live with but you're but from what from what you've said if you're in a position where you can't contact the individual try making dua for them and secondly is that if there's more harm that comes by reaching out to that individual um but now i want to i want to shift to uh, shift gears and focus on this topic of qadr because Qadr is, a, is such a beautiful topic, but oftentimes it is abused where people will do whatever they want and they'll just blame it on the Qadr. Um, mm-hmm. I know a famous story of uh, a Turkish taxi driver who drives around and doesn't wear a seatbelt. And uh, the passenger asks him, why don't you wear a seatbelt? He said, if it's the Qadr of Allah that I will get in an accident, I will get into an accident. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there is definitely that level of abuse there. But if, for example, there's an individual who's committed a major mistake in the past. And now they're trying, they've, they've asked for forgiveness and they have the, uh, this idea that Allah has forgiven them. They still have this sense of guilt within their heart of how could I have done something like that? Um, how would you respond to a person asking that question? First of all, guilt, well, we would say remorse, nadama itself is part of the, condition of Tawbah, hmm. that the scholars they mention as a mechanism, spiritual mechanism to keep yourself grounded and not float up in the airs of arrogance is to constantly recall the wrongs that you have committed. Now, when you make Tawbah from a sin, it doesn't mean that you put it behind you to a point like you act like you never did it. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is recorded, inshallah, at-ta'ibu min ad 
a person that makes tawbahs like the one who never committed it. But that's your hope from Allah if he accepted the tawbah because you're not sure if you truly made tawbah for the sake of Allah alone and that you met the condition of tawbah, which is nadama or remorse. So if a person has a guilt, they should see what they're going to do with the guilt. If the guilt makes them depressed to where they feel they are outside the limits of God's mercy and his grace, that's blameworthy. That's where they need to realize, Qadr Allah, it's gone. What you are meant to uh, do, it was already gone. And you make tawbah from it. So if he's hopeful. He has more hope. Inshallah, Allah forgave me. Mm-hmm. However, if he's constantly thinking about it, he's always worried about it. He's constantly like saddened by it. He can't, he's not getting over it and he's in despair, especially when he falls into despair. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. So such a person should be reminded of the vast mercy of Allah, especially if they took the means to rectify what they did wrong. Mm-hmm. To get rid of guilt altogether, acting, and some people do that. They did things when they're younger. And now they act like halas. They made tawbah and somehow they got a special email somehow from Jibreel alayhi salam that told them you're forgiven based mm-hmm. from the Lord of the world's decree. You don't have that. And we don't know that at all. So the believer stays between hope and fear at all times, at all times. In fact, um, it is mentioned from the righteous, going back to that book, Ishraq al-Qarar, that Imam, uh, there was a great scholar by, I think it was Abu Bakr al-Warraq, a righteous Imam. After he used to pray his salat, he used to just like repent for repentance they described as a fornicator female fornicator, because there's even more haya there, according to our ulama, mm-hmm. at, who has committed zina and has now turned to Allah. From what? His sins? And my teacher said something that will make your audience really think deeper. That the real righteous Gnostics of Islam, the great Arifin, it's not the wrongs that they even repent from. It's the good deeds they repent from as well. Because they have done things, and this is an ayah in the Quran, that those who believe and do good works and they spend in the way of Allah, meanwhile, their, qar- their hearts are wajilat qulubun, and that they're going back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will be returned back to Allah. And so they're afraid, are my good deeds even worth quality or not? I just prayed. But maybe I was showing off in my prayer. Maybe I did it for other people. Maybe my concentration was nowhere near. If I really knew who my Lord was, could I have imagined what I'm doing tomorrow? Could I have just ran that movie I just did in my head? Could I have just been thinking about my young days? Could I have just been, God forbid, la Allah, la la even planned haram thing this weekend? Mm-hmm. So what kind of a prayer are we presenting Allah Imam Abu Hassan al-Shadili, the great Gnostic and scholar of Iraq, when the Mongols or one of them were coming in to destroy the city, all the scholars were very perplexed. They got together in the great Jamia Mosque and they asked the Imam what is why he was so calm. And he looked at him, he said, don't you guys pray? They're like, prayer? We got the enemy coming. What are you talking about prayer? Everybody's like stressed out, anxious. He said, if you pray, don't you read the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran? Um, Ah, subhanallah, where is that in the Quran? It's in the latter parts. Um, uh, 
that when they pray, they they don't have any anxiety to it. Okay, let me find this verse. Yes. Yes. What is the I after? In, is it in Right? So that this anxiousness and this anxiety are not from the people of Salat. Hmm. Right? So now when you think of all these things, subhanAllah, you know, we have to remain. Now I say remain. Maybe we should rephrase that to become humble. Hmm. Become humble. Because the first starting point of any Muslim before his Lord is, I'm the most needy servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you don't see yourself there and your good deeds have put you on the air, uh, you know, uh, those balloons, air balloons, right? Mm -hmm. And took you into the clouds of arrogance, then you've done things wrong. You haven't had the right teachers. You haven't reflected deep enough. So you have to make tawbah and you have to ask it still far because Allah's made paradise haram upon anyone who has an Adam's weight of arrogance or kibbutz in their heart. And a man came in the presence of the Prophet and companions praised them. But he asked the man, he said, when you came in this gathering, did you feel in your heart you were better than others? And he said, yes. Why? Because he's not a liar. You're not a lying. You're not lying to admit the truth. Here he came in, he saw himself better. So what do I mean when I say all this? I'm saying all this because every single Muslim should feel a massive amount of remorse in their heart, remain humble, remain fearful, at the same time, have hope, right? So look at, have hope in the mercy of Allah, also fear his punishment based on what you have done in your life. So you never go to one extreme or the other, you stay in the middle. Mm -hmm. And you know, what, what often I've realized is the ones who are, you know, proclaiming other people's sins publicly or privately um, are those who are completely ignorant of their own sins. Because mm -hmm. I think too often people just, people have created, and I, I'm a, I am guilty of this as well. People, you create this perception of who you are, of this perfect person of, mm -hmm. oh, I don't commit in these actions. You know, I don't, I stay away from the major sins. I pray my salahs and, you know, shaitan comes and convinces you that you are, that you are perfect, that you, or you're on the road to perfection. And I think that is very dangerous because once you start seeing the world through that lens of your superiority over others, then when you see somebody, you know, who's, who might not be at the level that you're at, um, then you're willing to proclaim him. You're willing, you're willing to condemn him for his actions. And that is a main reason why a lot of people can't get past their past. It's not because they haven't forgiven themselves. It's not because they didn't think that Allah forgave them, but they think it's because other people keep reminding them of that, of their past. And that's why I think there's this, that's why I think there's a very strong condemnation in our religion of people who are arrogant, who want to condemn other people. Correct. Right. So there's two things I want to say, uh, dear brother Ahmed, Allah ibarak fikum is number one, sins that are committed publicly must be repented for publicly. So for example, you know, if a person used to drink on Friday nights, 
And he used to do that and encourage others. When he makes Toba, he needs to go tell the people he used to pick up and take Friday nights that he's made Toba and that oh, they wow. should make Toba. So um, anyone you influence to commit a sin, you should tell them that you've made Toba. However, sins that you did privately in secret should never be brought out to people. This is highlighted in many hadiths where a person who sins in the night and makes Toba, but then Allah veiled them in that sin that night, but then in the morning they come and showcase it for the people. But such a person will not be forgiven at that point. Why? Because they're showcasing the sin. So to commit a sin is a sin itself. To then tell others about your sin is another sin. This is you add on to the sin, plus, plus. So the etiquette is if you've committed sins in private, you keep it between you and Allah, never say it. In fact, the scholars, when teaching about the prohibitions of the tongue, say that even if somebody asks you, did you do that thing? You are to say no. Why? Okay. Because when you say, yeah, I did that. Hey, brother, did you go to nightclubs and have a girlfriend? Uh, yeah. What it does is then sin becomes okay. Sin becomes in some way um, belittled. When in Islam, sin is very serious. It is very serious too break and violate the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if you did it, you say, no, you didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Because then people will say, for okay. Allah subhanAllah, nobody, I don't think anybody's done this. If one guy goes, oh, you know, when I was young, I did this and that, we should hide it. Unless, obviously, if somebody wasn't a Muslim and then they did something, they said, well, that was before I knew about Islam. Alhamdulillah, when I learned, I didn't do that, etc. There's no doubt that nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. However, another prohibition to what you said was, People, it's haram to go remind somebody of a sin that they committed, especially if they make Toba. If they didn't make Toba and they say, hey, you were at the club last week on Friday night. I drove by, I saw you. It's like, yeah, I'm going there tomorrow too. That's not, he's a facet. He's doing that open. But if he made Toba, people know he made Toba, don't remind them. Hey, remember when you did that? Astaghfirullah. That is prohibited. Why? Because that's between him and Allah and reminding is actually one of the categories people will not, Allah Ta'ala will not forgive on the day of judgment are people who remind others of the favors that they've done to them, right? Reminding others. This is something that we should stay away from. In particular, that's where you do a good deed. You lend somebody money, you keep reminding them and reminding them, billah. this destroys the quality of good deeds. But so another thing, one more thing that you said I wanted to comment on, which is worrying about what others think of you. One of the reasons that the core root of this, according to Matharat al-Qulub, purification of the heart, that is obligatory upon every single Muslim to learn the diseases and the cures of the heart. One of the reasons that that occurs is because deep in the heart, the person has a love for praise and its root cause is that the person thinks it will benefit them apart from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when they want the praise of others, they are seeing this is a type of riya, riya itself, ostentation, showing off, because you want people to think you're a good Muslim and a better Muslim. Once people disappear in your eyes, this is actually one of the biggest spiritual cures to all the problems. Once people disappear off earth from pleasing them when you pray, asking them for help when you need help, when all you see is Allah and that Allah is the only one that matters and nafi' waldar, the one who brings all benefit is Allah, the one who brings about 
what we experience of harm or difficulty is from Allah, when they realize that, then their object of ridha and pleasure and pleasing is only Allah, no one other than Allah. They'll just see other characters as these things uncertain in their life and creation, but that they have no reality and essence compared to the day of judgment. Then people will slowly start to disappear from your eyes. Even further, Imam Zain al-Abideen, the great grandson of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, who used to pray a thousand rakats a day and shiver and cry when he used to pray and a righteous Imam. One time, everyone would say, oh, grandson of the Messenger of Allah and praise him. Once somebody called him some bad words and he said, finally, someone recognized the reality of my state. Here they're all calling me Sayyid and Sheikh and this, this and that. Finally, somebody knows my worth. That's out of his humbleness. Of course, haram, a'udhu billah. He was the imam of the imams. But it shows like, where are we in comparison to that? Where someone says, hey brother, ittaqillah, you're not a good Muslim. Today we were like, astaghfirullah. I'm the sheikh of this town. What are you talking about? You know, I'm the president of the MSA. You know, I've went to Taj three times. I pray five times a day. That's all arrogance. If you had true humbleness and a person says, Ittaqillah, ya asi, O sinner, you would say, Subhanallah, Wallahi true, Wallahi true. Jazakallah, khair al jazak. Not humble like, Jazakallah, Astaghfirullah, man, I'm gonna punch him out after I'm done with this. No, like really feel in the heart, Allah, Yabarik Fikum. You know, Allah bless you. Thank you for reminding me. And Allah warns about this in Surah Al Baqarah too, when they're told to have taqwa of Allah, al izz. Pride takes them. And they're like, who, who are you to tell me I have taqwa of Allah? You have taqwa of Allah. Uh -huh. And people get upset. That's a sign of arrogance. If I went up to my sheikh, and I would never do that in a million years, but I'd say, yeah, sheikh, ittaqillah. He just says, subhanallah, uh -huh. If my sheikh says, astaghfirullah, ana sheikhu, ana hadha al-maqam, I'm this, this, and get out of here. Uh -huh. That's not my sheikh. Uh -huh. Exactly. And that's why we look, that's why we see most of these problems all come down to the ego. But right. the that's last right. topic I wanted to touch upon, which is a very um, popular topic um, in, in, in today's discourse is, and you, you did touch upon it, but if we could go into more depth is when you're looking for a spouse for marriage, do you have to explain your past and should you explain your past? So maybe if you could touch on both, maybe, Kind of the Islamic side, but also the you know kind of the you know the modern day world real world realities on the subject. Yeah, I think one of the problems, and this was actually a question submitted at Seekers Guidance as well, which is you know, um, and actually in a lot of those questions we received, you can clearly see the massive harm that took place because someone told the pros prospect that they wanted to marry about their past. And so it goes back to a few important points. Number one, it is not an obligation, nor is it necessary, really, nor is it recommended. In fact, it would be obligatory to hide about your past sins. You should just make toba to Allah, move on. You know, this is a habit of couples in our time. They just want to, let's, let's use the, the language. I want to put it all out there. Who told you to put it all out there? Nobody told you to put it all out there, right? A nikah in Islam is a transaction between two people that they'll live according to the teachings of Allah and his messenger on a certain agreement that they have. It is not by any means 
despite some of the misconceptions we have in our heart because of Western ideologies around marriage, your husband doesn't own you and you don't own your husband. Your husband has his day of judgment. You have your day of judgment. There are things you're responsible for together. And there are things that just you're not responsible for one another. So the past is the past. Leave it in the past. Make toba and move on. Now, if what you have done in the past will affect the marriage mm -hmm. based on a specific reason, and that would depend on the situation, obviously, and you thinking that I better tell him this because this will come up and it may harm the marriage later, I need to clear that out now. So, for example, maybe I'm just thinking it as an example. I used to do a lot of drugs. I'm on this medicine and I'm still getting rehab and I might go back in a hospital at a certain point. This is a reality. I just want to let you know that because I don't want to surprise you later. If you're willing to accept that, great. If not, at least I told you. That's going to affect the marriage. It's going to affect the children. It's going to affect, you know. So there are certain things that I would say consult your local scholar if they're a scholar and they have knowledge to ask about the particulars. But in general, you used to date. Mm -hmm. You drank beer on Friday nights. You did, uh, you know, you had a girlfriend or boyfriend or you didn't pray or, you know, you used to, you were a rapper or a singer and you did whatever. Leave it all behind. You made Toba. Now the condition is you made Toba. If you didn't make Toba, you can't be going in a new relationship hiding all that. You were at a concert last Friday and now this week you've made Toba. Like, you know, you got to have some track record to show that. So um, all the other things, my recommendation to anybody watching or any new couples, don't bring those things up. Just leave the past. And I know the more closer you're going to get the after marriage, the more you're going to want to know things. But as a Muslim, if Allah forgive, forgives sins and puts it behind them, you need to do the same and move on. Look to how you can better. Because all, in all honesty, what benefit is it to put it all out there? Absolutely none. It's going to damage your relationship. It's going to give you feelings that will stay forever. I'm telling you, those feelings are not going to go away. It's always going to be hurt there. So why are you telling them everything? You know, if you need to be honest, you're honest with Allah and his messenger and within the creation. But if you're just focused on the creation and not Allah and his messenger, they have more right and worthy of our shame, our taqwa, and our, and our good character than anybody else. Now, let's say somebody is in a situation like that. Let's say um, they feel, well, I'll get to the second one after, but let's say there's somebody who has made these major, major mistakes in their life, and now they've gotten married. And in their marriage, they've told their spouse all of the major sins that they have committed. Now, because they have unveiled um, their past, um, not necessarily their past, but the, the major sins that they've engaged in, do those sins now go unforgiven? And does a new tawbah need to be made? We can't say that if their sins are now going to be unforgiven. If they made tawbah for their past sins, halas. That tawbah is, mm -hmm. it's, you know, Allah Ta'ala forgives, he forgives. That's it. Um, once my okay. teacher highlighted something to me, he said that even if you commit sins over and over and over and you make toba, Allah will still forgive you. He doesn't have any emotional forgiveness. And this is something that actually hit me because sometimes as Muslims, we do the sin so much and we just think like, Allah is angry with me. I don't think he's going to forgive me. Like, how can he keep forgiving me? I keep doing this. Allah doesn't have emotions like you do. He doesn't have grudges. He's not in need of any of what you do. 
So even if you were to repent a thousand times and ask for forgiveness, if you meet the conditions, he'll forgive you. Okay. If a person now reveals that that's a new sin. So what they should do now is make a new repentance. Okay. As for the spouse that heard that, what they should do, which is prophetic on their part, would be to overlook that and just forgive. If they hold on and say, well, I didn't know that. Well, that changes everything. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Then that's, it's understandable because it's very hurtful. Um, but they have to realize like it wasn't against you. Right. You came into my life in 2020. Uh, this was what I was doing in 2015. It's not fair for you to tell me that's between me and my Lord. So people have to understand that. And that's what I mean when they realize what a nikah is. Nikah is not I own you and I owned you from whatever you did when you were young and old. No, mm -hmm. this is now our relationship from here on. This is how we're going to live. And I think the other thing is we're biased. We only choose which kind of sins bother us, mm. right? If the person did out drank alcohol, did drugs, doesn't matter. But if a brother or sister was dating and not anything past that, that's more hurtful sometimes to sisters than you going out drinking alcohol and dancing and singing and rapping and whatever else, that's haram, more haram than the other scenario, but it's more hurtful. So that's why you really, you know, that's why it's in a way not for Allah, it's just emotions. And that's part of being a human being. That's all right. It's just emotions. That's why you don't want to get those things in the way. Build a relationship. You know, converts marry a lot of times, either somebody from the Muslim, traditional Muslim families, or converts marry other converts. And the successful ones are the ones that say, look, you know, in a way you can say, subhanAllah, in jahiliyyah, we were so ignorant, but Allah brought us to light. I mean, what were the companions doing before Islam? True. There were a lot of sins that Arabian society committed, the likeness of which didn't exist, really. Murdering your own daughters. And that's why when one of them repented and cried so much, he asked the messenger of Allah, Ya Rasulullah, will Allah Ta'ala forgive me for what I've done? That's so wrong. He didn't think Allah would forgive him. And Allah revealed the eye of the Quran. This is the greatest ayah that highlighted that Allah forgives all sins. Say to my servant, look at that, my servant. My servant. Okay, you got to understand what that means. Like when parents are, not to compare anything to Allah, but when a, when a child does something, you're like, that's my son, that's my child. As an attribution, there is a idafa connection of honor. When Allah says, Qul ya ibadi, and how do you become the ibad of Allah? You say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. Without that, you have no connection to Allah. You have no connection to God, despite whatever you invent in your head. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah enters you into the palace of the ibad of Allah, whom He accepts. Then, whatever you do, Allah is saying to you, Don't go into despair. Allah forgives all sins. And so that verse, and you'll see in that ayah, if you look at the asbab and nuzul or the causes of why that ayah was revealed, there's a lot of narrations of scenarios of certain sins. And it may have been that it were different people asking about the same thing and different people uh -huh. that had committed those wrongs, but that it highlighted for the beneficiaries like us, 
that it doesn't matter what you have done. That's the beauty of Islam. Mm. In fact, as an imam who worked in the field of a lot of da'wah and people asking, you see the shocked faces when people say, imam, how does God forgive you? What is atonement in Islam? I'm very tempted to say you got to climb a mountain, you got to read something 10,000 times, <laughs> buy a few camels and release them. But I'm like, actually in Islam, you don't even need to say anything. You don't need to do anything. It's a direct spiritual connected Wi-Fi between you and Allah through your heart, where the heart says, hmm, Ya Rabb, please forgive me for what I did. I make Tawbah from it, I turn away from it. Nadama, Tawbah. Immediate connection, immediate connection. That's the beauty of a song. And that to a lot of people like, and I've seen this multiple times, brother, multiple in interfaith communities or when I was giving dawah in schools and other places, you'll see the look on their face that that's too easy. That's not right. And I said, wait, 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 wait. You're always saying the God of Islam is not a God of love and compassion and mercy. I just told you something. You're not willing to accept it because it's too merciful. It's too much love that God would accept you at any moment without any person you have to confess to. Without really, even two rakats of Tawbah is recommended. Salat of Tawbah is recommended. It's not wajib. To make dua and repent is recommended. It's not wajib. There's exactly. only really two conditions of Tawbah. Feel bad you did it for the sake of Allah. And then intend not to do it again. That's it. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's Surah Zumar, chapter 39, verse 53, I think. Um <laughs> Mashallah. The last thing I want to say, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but this next question is involved to what we're saying. But um, in a hypothetical situation, somebody has committed zina and now they're going to look for a spouse and the spouse asks them, I'm looking for somebody who has not committed zina. What does the person say? First of all, the person that they're going to go and, and ask zina for... means ad uh, adultery, fornication. Yeah. For those who don't know. So first of all, Nobody should ask a respected Muslim in their presence, did you commit zina? The person should say, well, maybe I don't want to marry anybody who's not prayed since the age of Baluch their five times a day prayers. Is there anyone in this house who hasn't prayed five times a day their whole life? Is there anyone in this house that hasn't paid zakat, et cetera, et cetera? First of all, that's not a correct question to ask somebody, mm -hmm. right? Because that is inappropriate. And it doesn't affect the marriage in any way whatsoever. Marriage is between this individual who's upright and solid and this individual that they're interested in that is upright and solid. Khalas. This question, if it's the culture of Muslims, needs to stop. Mm. You know, it is the culture. And, and wallahu alam, wallahu alam, in this case, the person should definitely say no if they made tawbah. Why? Well, now that you asked, uh, yeah. So, it's none of their business. And they shouldn't have asked. And if that's the culture, that's not for Allah. Because if it was for Allah, they wouldn't have opened their mouth to ask a haram question like that. That's culture. Stupidity of culture. What they should ask, and I would ask, is so-and-so, beloved 
possible son-in-law. You want to marry my daughter. Tell me, what do you know about Islam? How much have you studied? Who is your teacher? Tell me some background. You know, legitimate religious questions. Who is your sheikh? What do you practice? What's your background? Tell us about yourself. Because you're not asking about halal and haram. You're asking about what do you believe in? What do you attribute yourself to so I can understand? I would ask that question myself. Mm -hmm. That is appropriate. But to say, did you commit this sin? And did you commit that sin? That's inappropriate. And unfortunately, cultures, I know all cultures, including mine, the Afghani culture. Not all of it, by the way, I don't want to generalize. But some of the misconceptions are, there's a lot of tons of things that we do as well, that is inappropriate. And it's incorrect. And culture is never above religion, despite what some cultural people always think. You know, one person once told my sister-in-law that uh, I'm Afghan first and I'm Muslim second. <laughs> so no, no, no. I'm Muslim first. I'm Muslim second. I'm Muslim third. And I'm Afghani fourth. I'm Muslim first. I'm Muslim second. I'm Muslim mm -hmm. third. And I'm Indian Pakistani fourth. If a person starts with like, well, we are Pakistani, we are Arab, we are Afghani, we are this, we do this. That is language that shouldn't be used. This is say, Salaamu Alaikum. Alhamdulillah, we're Muslim. Alhamdulillah, we believe in Allah and His Messenger. We have the book in the Sunnah and we have our religion. Alhamdulillah. What does our religion say when a righteous man comes and proposes for the daughter? Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be rejected, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, we say there's no forcing a sister to accept anybody in marriage, right? That they don't want to. But you should, you should not cause corruption in the earth by turning away righteous people. Not because they're poor or rich, not because of this background or that background, but the main thing we look at in any relationship is righteousness. If they're righteous, they have a good job, they're good looking, they're happy, they've good, got good character, you better move on that before you lose the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Subhanallah. And I think that I think what this opens up the door to is a future podcast on the A to Z's on Nikah. Um, I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but every conversation with you always ends with something related to Nikah. <laughs> but I Alhamdulillah, I think, um, you, you know, everything that I'm asking is not theoretical or random. These are real life um, incidents which are happening more frequently than we would like to assume. And these are the type of questions that people are trying to struggle with. And I hope inshallah that this podcast was a benefit to those who have listened. If there's any other question that you have, any other follow-up, please feel free to message me. Um, I can forward any questions to see the Yama, but it's a very important question, which uh, we could have spent more time discussing. But I think with that, we will conclude. Um, if, if you could, if you could conclude with a dua, um, that would be perfect. Jazakumullah khairan. Okay. Barakallah fikum. I just have one advice to all that are watching is the best thing that will help you in your life is to seek sacred knowledge and ask qualified people. So inshallah, keep that as your very important priority in life. Seek knowledge. So alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Oh Allah, bless our brother Ahmed and bless all those that are watching, that listen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Rabb, please increase us in knowledge, increase us in taqwa, increase us in our good character. Allah grant us good character and increase us in good character. 
O oh Allah, forgive us of all of our sins, our past, our future, that which we know, that which we do not know, the public and the private, that which we knew was a sin, that which we did not know was a sin. Allah, take us out of the darknesses of sin and bring us into the light of faith, into the light of Islam, into the light of guidance, into the light of love and the sunnah and the blessed, prophetic, illuminated path of the chosen one, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. O Allah, we ask you this on this blessed day, the day of Friday, please accept from us. Wa sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Muhammad wa Ameen. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.